Thank you guys very much. I'm going to abbreviate my sermon a little bit here because at the end we want to invite our staff and faculty forward for a time of prayer for their ministry. And so I'm going to say a few words and then we'll lead into that. And I also couldn't pass up the opportunity to tell a story about a friend of mine who usually uses my stories during his sermons. Uh, he's in another state, so I won't tell you his name, but he's a pleth uh, he writes a plethora of books in Adventism. And he's a young pastor, so you could probably figure it out. But as I want to uh, dedicate this uh, sermon to the Lord, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for how you lead us, each one of us, by your spirit. Thank you for the young people and the journey that you've led them on so far. Thank you for the parents and the teachers and the influences that people have had in their lives. Lord, I'm so thankful for the ones who had a Christian mindset who touched my life when I was far from you. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use this, this time together to touch other people's lives as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I thought of today, I came across a Facebook story from a friend of mine, and my friend had been paralyzed except for his head. So you can imagine sitting in a dental chair, which I did this week, and as I was in the dental chair, I said to the dentist, you're not going to paralyze me, are you? And she said, well, what do you mean? And I told her this story that I'm going to tell you, and that is I had a friend who was up in Washington, and if you were allergic to epinephrine, uh, the, the injections that deal with the pain in your mouth, it can actually cause an adverse reaction if it goes other places in your bodies. And that's what happened to him. They injected into his mouth, and it went throughout his whole body. So his arms kind of went like that, his legs, everything. His heart, he said, was really still going normally, but he was paralyzed, all except for his head. And he says, basically, my feet, my legs, my hands, my arms, lower jaw, all constricted, and I couldn't move them. It also felt like someone put a stack of books on my stomach. My vitals remained normal. I didn't hyperventilate, and my heart rate never accelerated or decelerated to anything abnormal. And as he's sitting there, helpless in that dental chair, the EMTs come in, and it was a dental visit that he will never forget. I don't know about you, but could you imagine being numb everywhere except for your head? Somehow your whole body disconnects from your head. You can still think. You can still... You process things, you, your heart's still breathing, but, but there's no feeling, there's no connection to the rest of your body. And that would be a scary feeling. And if you've experienced something like that, you know what this individual went through this week. And as I thought about that, I thought to myself, you know, that's really our story, isn't it? There are a lot of things that society, that life tries to inject into our lives, into our beings, to get our minds off of the head Jesus Christ, the one who's the head of the church, and sometimes it can paralyze us. You know, I don't spend a lot of time reading the news. I'll tell you why. Because you need anti-venom to really deal with everything that's negative in the news. There's a 10% chance you'll get something positive. But we live in a society today where we need to look for good news. We need to allow what to come into our body things that will lift us up, bring us heavenward, and help us stay connected to our head, Jesus Christ. So as a church family, we're embarking on a three-month series of how to stay connected to Jesus. This morning... I just want to encourage our young people through another story. Years ago, I wasn't a Christian, and a lot of you know part of that story. And for me, interaction with the church was very limited. The only time I ever saw anybody from the church was, well, I was doing community service one time, and they, they said I could go down to a church and do clean it up, you know, help them clean up their janitorial room and clean up the church. And I remember... As I got into that church building, someone who was from basically a no-Christian background at the time, feeling a sense that there's something different here. There's something different here. 
And I, my grandfather, in fact, attended that church. So for me, it was unusual to be in that place. But for him, it was a place of peace. It was a place where he learned about God. And so when I would go to my grandfather's house on the weekend, I had that experience of cleaning that church. I had that experience of watching him walk out the door to go to that church. And there's something that happened at that church that when he came home, he would pull us aside, he would read a little bit to us, and he would just show acts of kindness. I didn't have a Christian school to go to. I was in public school. But this was, for me, Christianity as best as I knew what it was like. It was acts of kindness. It was the fact that I didn't have good shoes to wear going to that public school. And if you don't have good shoes and clothes going to some public schools, you know what it's like. I mean, you're going to get picked on and bullied and all of that. And my grandfather would go out of his way to find anywhere he could things to put in our hands so that we could go home with good clothes and good shoes, even though we were poor. And I remember getting down to the point where I said to myself, oh, that was some nice Christian influences, but I really don't want anything to do with God. But I still remembered those lessons from childhood. I think of our young people, the ones who come for children's store every week, the ones who go to your school every week. There are lessons that they are learning that when they get older, and for some chance, if they check away from God or whatever for a moment, those seeds will come back. It just may take some time. It may just take some watering from the Holy Spirit for them to get connected back to God. But they can, they can come to fruition. And so that's what happened to me. I remember to the point where I was far away from God and I came across a little booklet and that booklet talked about freedom and peace and hope and it reminded me of those lessons that I learned at the, at the foot, if you will, of a loving, godly person. Someone who was educating me in an informal sense through their acts of kindness, through their brief instructions about Jesus. So I appreciate, I appreciate especially the fact that we have a K-8 school here in Reading and I'll tell you why, plus the essentials. I didn't have that opportunity very much. At least it wasn't presented to me. But I can tell you what, what was presented to me. Those windows, periodically, maybe once a week or month. And can you imagine someone who maybe is going through a hard time at home and they come to a, a Christian environment for eight hours a day, I mean, quite a few hours a day. They get Bible brought to them. They get seeds planted in their minds. And they're encouraged. They're encouraged. And I've been to the classrooms and I've seen it. The love of Jesus in their hearts. It's sad if it somehow gets lost later on, but we have an opportunity to support that. And you know from our church budget, 20% of it that we gave this morning goes to that already. So we're thankful for you teachers and all of that. I want to go to the story of Jesus, though, and show you, though, briefly how he lived in an environment of fear and violence, an environment of gossip and insinuation and all of that. Anxiety was prevalent in his day. Just look at the Roman soldiers stationed in different places. And yet you find him staying connected to the Father. I'm going to go down a few slides here. And basically what I find in Matthew chapter 4 is that Jesus was led up from the Jordan Valley of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here is Jesus. He knows he's the Son of the Father. He knows 
he's been, if you look at his history, he has a custom of going to the synagogue, opening up the scrolls, being taught at his mother's knee, being taught a trade by his father, being taught by the greater Christian society around him. And here he is getting ready to enter into his ministry. He's being led by the Spirit to connect with heaven. How do we know that? In the ancient culture, you find when someone is fasting, it was typically for spiritual reasons. You'll find various examples of this from Daniel to others. And here he is engaging the Father in the wilderness, and the temptation comes. The word here, led up. Here he is being baptized. He goes up from the Jordan Valley to this area. Most people believe it's some mountainous terrain. And as he is there in that place of solitude, the temptations begin to come. And what does he rely on? He relies on what has been planted in his heart already. He is, he is relying solely upon that. And if you look at the text carefully, we find he goes after his baptism. He fasts, which means there's a weighty occasion ahead of him. What is that weighty occasion? You keep reading the text. He's going to begin a ministry. He's going to call 12 individuals to change the world. He's going to have a trickle effect that goes down through time with Christian teaching about himself that will even affect us to this day. And even in his darkest moments, even in his trials and temptations, he stays connected. That was no accident. God brought him up in a home, in a Christian environment, so that he could have that foundation. We owe it to ourselves as well. And if we look carefully at our Bibles in Malachi chapter 4, it is clear that at the end of days, there will be a message that will not just proclaim the Sabbath and the beautiful things of creation, but it will restore the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. It will unite hearts. That takes time. That takes relationship. That takes connecting. In the home, and where do we get our source for that? From Jesus. And so we find him getting ready to begin his ministry. He meditates upon the words of God. This becomes his strength. He overcomes there. And I believe the same thing needs to happen in our lives. Christian education does not begin at the school or the church. It actually begins in the home. That's a lot of work. That's time. And I know, society calls me and our church calls me to do everything under the sun but spend time with my family. I don't get paid to spend time with my family, though it is in my biblical job description as an elder of the church. I need to care for my house. And we see here written, God does not mean that any of us should become hermits or monks and retire from the world in order to devote ourselves to acts of worship. The life must be like Christ between the mountain and the multitude. How did he face the multitude? It was his time alone with God. And that permeates, if you spend time with God, it permeates your home. And if it permeates your home, then it permeates your church and your school. And then it permeates your society. And then together we change this world. Together we have the same impact that Jesus and his disciples had when they were here. And so I believe the challenge for us is to spend that daily time with Jesus, whether we're a teacher, whether we're a student, whether we're a parent, whether we're a pastor, an elder, or a church officer. We need to all spend that time with Jesus. And children, here's your answer for that question on your sheet. The result of spending that time with Jesus is written in your Bibles. I'll open up John 5 briefly. John chapter 5, verse 24. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, 
but is passed from death to life. You find a message of Jesus gets to the point where he's talking to the people of the church and their institutions and all of that, and he's telling them, life is found in me. Fear of judgment can be gone away if you trust in me. Fear of things of this world can go away if you trust in me. You can become my child of God and have everlasting life. Have everlasting life if you trust in me. If we don't have that, we have nothing to give to our children. So I challenge all of us in this new year especially to spend that time with Jesus. If you don't know him as your Savior, see an elder or a teacher or myself, and we will do the best we can to give you a short presentation of, you know what, here's as simple as it is asking Jesus into your life. That's all I did. I was 17 years old in a jail cell, far from anybody, far from everything, and the little booklet just told me, ask. If I had never done that, I would never even be standing here today. It's as simple as starting a relationship is asking, communicating with him. And then 35 and 36, which some of us have had for our memory verse last couple of weeks, John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And for a time, you chose to enjoy his light. Jesus says, I have a testimony weightier than that of the Father. The very works which Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testify that I have been sent of God. Jesus goes on and says, I have all the testimony that you need to to trust in me. Look at the very things that I did. And what did he do? He stayed connected with the Father. You watched the relationships that were developed because of that. He loved his enemies. He blessed the children. He invited people to come to him who were outcasts and nowhere seeming to be anywhere near connected to God. And so he was doing the work that the Father gave him to do as a result of being connected with heaven. So it mentions John was a lamp. I'm not Jesus, neither are you. So I can be a lamp, though. I can be that teacher. I can be that principal. I can be that mentor. I can be that parent. Wherever your role is, you can be a lamp that burns. But John was a lamp. He was not what was filling the lamp. If you know in the ancient times, the lamp was filled with oil. A purity process took place before that. That oil would even be placed in that lamp. This pure olive oil would be going into it. And so we find we have to be filled with something in order to shine like John and point people to Jesus Christ. And if we have that connection, we'll do the works. And then the challenge is to stay connected. The importance of staying connected is very clear. Jesus continued to stay connected all the way to his very last breath before he died. If you doubt it, just look at, the, look at the Bible from Matthew 24 onward. You'll find in Gethsemane, his darkest moments in Matthew 26, he spent doing what? Praying. He had, his, he had his 12 disciples nearby, his three especially close associates, and what does he do? He shows them the way. He, he, the sins of the world are being weighed down upon him. What's he do? He connects with heaven. Father, if your will, you call, see him crying out to heaven. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. He needed that connection, especially at that moment with Jesus. And how many hours did he spend that day in prayer? Well, it says he went away for an hour, came back, and it says he did that two more times. So we're guessing from the text, pretty clear guess anyway, educated guess, three hours in prayer. Maybe you don't have three hours in a day to do it. Maybe you're not going to that Gethsemane right now that you think I need that much. But what about an hour? He tells him, could you not watch with me for one of these hours? And that same challenge echoes down through us. It may only be 15 or 20 minutes in the morning and some in the evening and some sprinkled out throughout the day. But could it add up to that one hour of connection? We're told if we spend a thoughtful hour each day, especially on the closing scenes, 
it could change us. It could also change our communities. And so Jesus stays connected all the way through. And I believe as a father, I need to stay connected as well because I am in a, in a way, purifying process. I am renewed by Jesus every day. I want to be that vessel that can have his infilling every day. I want to be able to go to the point where if I have to go through Gethsemane in my life, some kind of trial or experience, I have his connection in my heart. He is filling me. Because the all-oppressed is already here. If you haven't looked around in the world lately, I don't spend, like I said, a lot of time watching the news because it's poisonous to my mind sometimes. It's like arsenic or something. It just, I can only handle so much of it. But it's there. We're watching. We're, we're seeing things happening, but we need to spend that time in prayer. If I, if I came to you and said, you know what? How much time do you spend with Jesus? And you tell me, well, I watched the news the other day for a couple hours. What did that news do for you? I mean, two hours. Come on, guys. Two hours. If I spend two hours watching all kinds of media or three hours and I spend no time with Christ, even if I'm watching sermons, guys, even if I'm watching sermons, I'm going to say something that's going to sound fanatical. But if I'm watching so much fear that Jesus, there's no room for Jesus, I'm emptied of Jesus, then I'm engaging in contemplative prayer. I know it's a hot topic. Let me explain it. If I have fear filling my mind continually, Instead of the love of Jesus, 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. 1 John goes on and says, perfect love casts out all fear. If my mind is focused on Jesus, and then I allow all these things to be injected in my life, like, like that whole epinephrine issue, and I'm disconnected from the head, and I replay those things over and over in my mind, I have literally been emptied, which is what Eastern prayer does, and I've been filled with something, which is fear. That is contemplative prayer. That is spiritual formation. So, when someone asks me, have you seen the latest spiritual formation evidence or the latest news clip or the latest this or that, I say, you know what? I appreciate your concern, but I have to spend time with Jesus. For my family, for my Christian community, for the Adventist church, to minister to those kids when I go up to that campus, it's got to be Jesus. He, his spirit, has to lead me. If you want to spend those times doing that, you got lots of time, great. But make sure you balance it with so much time with Jesus that it overshadows all of that. That may be challenging, but it can be done. And so we find him staying connected all the way to the cross. And what really touched me from that song 620, it said, when shall I see my father's face? We're crossing over Jordan. We're, we're, we're going to leave some things behind in this world, but, but I want to look back and look at my father's face and see my little ones all there. Oh, love to see all of you guys as well. And can you imagine going through the darkest night and wishing to see your father's face and you just don't sense it? We're all going to go through something like that probably eventually, whether it's cancer like some of our family members are going through now. But notice what his father does at the cross. He does anything a parent or someone who loves children would do. He gathers his boy and shields him. You know, the Roman cross was, a, it was not just torturous in the sense that it made you suffer physically every breath you took. But it was torturous in the sense that you were shamed before the whole community around you. You were naked. Let's, not, let's, let's be real here. He didn't have a cloth on. He was sitting there naked. 
on that cross. They would strip him down, they would beat him and lacerate him to the point, and then they would stick him on the cross and drop him in a sudden thud. Sometimes they'd even have spikes sticking up, so they would go right between their legs. That is pretty terrible pain. But let me tell you something else. It's the shame in the ancient Near East that really caught the Israelites, that somebody would be exposed to their loved ones and their family like that. That was what the Romans kept crucifixion around for, was to put down those religious elements in their society. And so imagine Jesus hanging there, shame before his mother, shame before his disciples and all of that. And what does his father do? He covers him in darkness. You're not going to shame my son. I am here today. I am shielding my son. And imagine it going pitch black dark in the middle of the day. Who else is it shielding? It's shielding the thieves beside him, one who, who accepts Jesus. It's making sure that they all know that heaven is on his side, that he was surely the son of God. That's why a Roman soldier cries out. He's never seen that happen before. He's never seen the heavens shield anybody from that shame that they've inflicted. And yet the father shields Jesus. And what is Jesus' last breath? Father, into your hands, daddy, I commit my spirit, my breath. I'm breathing my last. Father. His last thought is a connection with his father. So at the end of the day, when we have our children outlive us in a thousand years, say, say some of us pass on when we're age 50 or something, and our children, they live to be 80 years old, and they pass on. They're older than you at the thousand years. It's over, right? After a thousand years, they're a thousand and eighty or a thousand and fifty, right? So there we are on the earth made new. There we are. And as we look at that beautiful connection that we maintain here all the way to that point, we'll say heaven was cheap enough. And there will be times where the Father will literally shield you and say, this is my child. I won't let them be shamed. And so as I look at this connection with Jesus, it was so strong that, that I journaled about it. And this week it was like, Murray, just sit back and bask in the fact that I'm going to bring some young people to that church today that aren't used to coming there. And they're going to point you to heaven in some way. And keep looking to me. Doesn't matter what you face, keep looking to me. Doesn't matter if it's a cross or some other form of society's shame, keep looking to me. And I will keep leading you by that still small voice. And as a result of that, this will be education for next week. I'm going to move on through it. We're told that the closer we all come to Jesus, the closer we all come to each other. It's like that old kid's bike, you know, that you used that, that had those spokes going all the way into that hub there. And I spent my time working on my kid's bikes because you know how those things get beat up. And as you're looking at I mean, every time I fix the wheel on that bike or something, I look at that spoke and I remember, you know, that's a pretty good connection that's going on there. It's, those spokes are connected to that hub. And Ellen White says that we are the same. If we spend that time with Jesus alone and we get to know Jesus, then we come closer to him. We come closer when we come together. We come closer to each other. No matter, what, no matter what church we're part of, no matter whether or not we're a pastor or a school teacher or all that, we all come closer together. Starts in the family, starts in the church, continues on then there. But she links it to union with Jesus, the need for us to stay connected with him. And as a result, she mentions, the nearer we come to Jesus, the nearer we will be to one another. That is true education. At the feet of Jesus, and I believe God has led us in the establishment of our churches and our schools and I believe the only fear we should even harbor at this point is to forget how he's led us in the past and, and forget the lessons in his past blessings and forget that just as omnipotence has touched and guided in past episodes, he will guide us into the future 
episodes. It may look blurry, and I can tell you folks, I don't have the wisdom to guide the church there. But I do know if we all stay connected to the head, we don't have anything injected into our systems that will prevent that, then we can all journey together as families of faith to that beautiful place, connected to Jesus. There was a vision given years ago, and this is key for the Advent people. It says there was this vision, and she, Ellen White said, I seem to be surrounded by light and to be rising higher and higher from the earth. I turn to look for the Advent people. You, know, you want to know what the Advent people are looking at at the end of time? She couldn't find them in the world. They were looking upward, right? Look again, look a little higher. At this I raised my eyes and saw a straight and narrow path cast above, high above the world. On this path, the Advent people were traveling to the city which was at the farther end of the path. They had a bright light set up behind them at the beginning of the path, which an angel told me was the midnight cry. That's how he's led in the past. This light shone all along the path and gave light for their feet so that they might not stumble. And how do they keep from stumbling? If they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus, who was just before them, leading them to the city, they were safe. The same Jesus who welcomed the children, the same Jesus who taught those of us who were religious to welcome those little children. He tells us, stay focused on me, watch me. But soon some grew weary and said the city was a great way off. They expected to have entered it long before. Then Jesus would encourage them by raising his glorious right arm, and from his arm came a light which weighed over the Advent band, and they shouted, Hallelujah! Others denied the light and said it was not of God. It wasn't God that led them out so far. The light behind them then went out, leaving their feet in perfect darkness, and they stumbled and lost sight of the mark and of Jesus. That's really the mark, isn't it? In the Greek language, telos or mark or goal means also the same as perfect. Who is this talking? Who's the mark? Jesus. He's the perfect one. He's our example. We're looking to him. We're gathering all of our little ones and every family member we can, and we're bringing them with us on this path. Come, come, and we keep pointing to Jesus. Keep staying connected to him. But the Advent people are seen as fixing their eyes on Jesus. Not that they're not aware of what's going on, but they're fixing their eyes on Jesus. And so, here we are today, and here's a picture to, if you want to see an artist's rendition of it. Imagine Jesus there at the beginning of the path. Imagine following him all the way down to the end. After all, his sheep know his voice. If somehow this sounds too simple, staying focused on Jesus, staying connected with him, then perhaps, perhaps we have to become children again. Simple faith. Simple trust. And I have permission to tell this closing story before we invite our teachers forward. One of my children's first sermon that they preached was at my home Friday night. And I was sitting there looking out the window. It was Christmas time. There were some decorations up. I was looking at the lights, thinking of Jesus for a moment there, thinking, oh, this is wonderful. Lord, maybe someday my children, instead of me giving the Bible reading and all this, sometimes maybe we can just all do something together. Because on Friday night, we typically come together for singing, and then we do, we, we just, I gather the family and we pray together. That's what we do. So we had done that. And I sensed the kids were just bubbling, ready to just spring forth, you know, like a, like a spring or something, you know, or, the, or like our sheep come jumping out of the sheep pen sometimes. And so they began to run around, and then all of a sudden it got quiet, and I, and I witnessed a little holy huddle, kind of like we do in the back sometimes before we go to church service. There was a holy huddle going on over here. And next thing you know, this, this big rocking chair came 
pushing into the center of the room. And I was told by my oldest son and, and my second born, we want to do a church service. So they needed some coaching. So all right, I'm, I'm pretty good at, I guess, doing some church services. I've done a few and been around a lot. So I'm thinking, yeah, all right. So I'm sitting back in my recliner, and I'm directing this first church service. And I, I mean, as a father, my heart's just like, God, this is, I didn't expect it today on New Year's. And it's this beautiful way to start the New Year. And they began, I began to coach them through the worship service. One of them had memorized a scripture during camp meeting. It came flying out for the scripture reading. Another one had done a Christmas song during the service here. A little bit late for it, but, but they threw a Christmas song together for the special music. And next thing, we get down to the sermon. And they said, well, what should we preach on, Daddy? And I said, well, how about John chapter 1? Because the Genesis 1 scripture reading, right, goes along with John 1. So, I, so we did. I thought, well, let's try to tie it together. So they began to go down through. We got down to verse 12. As many as believed him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And they didn't know what to do after that point. So I said, well, what does it mean? You know, how do I become a child of God? And the simple answer was, trust him. Trust him. And I thought that was really powerful for my heart as a father. That's really amazing. That's simple, isn't it? And then I said, well, what does it feel like to be a child of God? You might think baptism and things like that, that means you're a child of God. No, I, those are children of God now. And without even looking, flinching or anything, my oldest said, it's like getting a hug from daddy. That's, that's something, isn't it? It's like getting a hug from daddy to be a child of God. That happens from some of you as you're engaging with children on a professional basis. It happens to you at home. The opportunity to give them that picture of the love of God. And quickly, though, as I was soaking that in, two of them chimed up and said, yeah, but without the whiskers. And you know what that means, right? A hug from daddy isn't just a, you know, awkward, bored, hugging a board. It, it's, mm, and their face goes here, and there's nothing there between us. We are totally connected. And then we look each other in the eye, and there's a heaven moment there. Somehow, that connection carried over to their spiritual understanding of God. And I'm thankful for it. And so stay connected with Jesus yourself and your family and your church and your school. And I believe we'll walk hand in hand together into a beautiful, wonderful relationship with our great teacher who will teach us from there to eternity. I'm going to invite our teachers forward. And... Wayne, you know who everybody is, so I, I'm going to have you bring them to the front. Elders from Anderson, what I want to do is invite you forward as well. And I'm just going to have, a, we want to have a word of prayer for our educators that they can, you know, while we're busy and all of that, they can keep pointing our children to Jesus and, and they can stay connected and they can help our children stay connected to Jesus. Because as I look at, as I look at, what you do, and I haven't been over there lately, but I've been over the last couple of years, I see the songs in their hearts, the love of Jesus in their hearts. So it's just really, something's going on there, and I want to encourage you in that. And Wayne, this is something I'm going to give you so that if you ever get, need something for a staff devotion, then it's something might be useful, uh, how to connect with Christ. It wasn't, it was from a Christian bookstore, so it's, it's got a different flavor to it, but I've really enjoyed it. And what I want to do is just have prayer for them. And, and all the students, could all the students stand 
Get all you students, and if you want to stand, we want to have prayer for you too. Thank you guys for the music today and for your voices of love to Jesus. I appreciated that. And your bells, that was beautiful. And your scripture, that was right out of a, that was right out of a professional worship thing. You can buy those types of things. So thank you so much for your wonderful talent you shared with us. And parents, thank you for your commitment to your children as you invest in them. I want to invite our educators here in the middle, if you guys would like to come closer here. And elders, let's lay hands on them just to ask God to bless them. Father in heaven, thank you so much for how you've touched each one of our lives. And I want to thank you for the parents that are represented out here by these children. I pray you'll continue to help them to reveal Jesus to their children so that the life lessons of your love will be so simple that they will be able to say it's like getting a hug from my parent. And in the meantime, Lord, as our children go to school and interact with other kids, we pray you'll, you'll bless them to, to share that love with each other and, with the, and with, the, with the faculty and the staff and the teachers at Reading Avis Academy. And as they come to that school, Lord, and they're greeted each morning by the secretary there, and as they come in and receive hugs and encouragement from the teachers, and sometimes the teachers have to challenge them from time to time, I pray, Lord, you'll bless our educators and their staff, that you'll bless them and give them wisdom. And, Lord, in those moments when they need exa exactly the patience of Jesus, you'll send the angel to come and just to, just to touch them and give them that peace at that moment and guide them to give the children the clear picture of Jesus. Thank you so much for their dedication. Thank you for their day-in and day-out commitment to you and also to these children. So bless them, Lord. And we look forward to the day when we will see you face-to-face. -face and we'll look behind us and you'll say, who are all these? We'll say, you know, Lord. And you'll, you'll reach out your arms and you'll welcome them and you'll welcome us. And you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been so faithful. Come into the kingdom. So bless each one here to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming and blessing us today. Our closing song will be up on the screen in a moment. It's all about the power of God. He shows us so many wonderful things in nature, but he also shows us so many wonderful things through each other. And so if you'd like to join me, please sing this closing song with me. I sing the mighty power of God. It's up on the screen. Feel free to stand if you want to.
Father in heaven, thank you so much for your presence in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our schools, in our society, Lord. Guide us to be led by your spirit to stay connected with you all the way into that day when we see you. Help us not to inject anything into our bodies that would hinder our relationship with Jesus. And help us to remember that it's so easy to stay connected with you. Help us to rest in your embrace and remember that it feels like getting a hug from daddy to be your child. Help us to be that close to you, we pray, until you come and see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.